Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. Hey, I'm Gretchen Bridgers of the Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Okay, Google, get spooky. Welcome to an extra spooky episode, episode 95 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, we are going to talk all about templates, more specifically how to create and assign templates in G Suite so you and your students can have a peaceful existence with all of the things that you want to do. And of course, we have some Google News and updates, some mailbag questions from our listeners, and a couple of blog posts to share with you today. So, Matt... Are you ready for this spooky episode? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. All right. I knew you were going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You can pull it off way better than I can. So uh, (laughs) maniacal laugh may be more my style. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Let's do this. All right, Tribe, let's get started with your news and updates because we know that you love them. And this first one has to do with Google Slides. Uh, so not too long ago, uh, there was this newer feature to Google Slides where they did live closed captioning, where you were able to turn on your microphone and it closed, it, it transcribed your words into, you know, live text at the bottom of the screen. Now, one of the one of the things that I heard people say about this, and I would tend to agree, is that the text at the bottom of the screen was hard to see, especially in a room full of people, because their heads would get in the way, and it was just it was just hard to be able to see that text. Well, Google has made a little modification that I think is is really going to help that out. So now you can customize the text size and the text position for those captions in Google Slides. So now. Um, you're going to be able to adjust how big that text is on your screen and also where it's placed. You can move it from the bottom up to the top. 
So, you know, if it's up at the top of the screen, it does make it a little easier in a big room where, you know, there's a projector screen in the front. And so um, this is one of those things where, you know, it's still sort of rolling out. It's uh, going out to rapid release domains as soon as October 14th. So some of you may have already seen it. Uh, the full rollout comes at the beginning of November. So if that sounds like something you're excited about, keep your eyes peeled because it is coming. I love that. I think the captioning has been a great addition. And of course, Google seems to really be beefing up their accessibility features. And I think that's that's not only going to help us as presenters, but to be able to support those kiddos too. Now, the next thing we have to share, you've already had a sneak peek of in today's episode. <laughs> and this episode will come out the week of Halloween. And so we have a special Halloweeny <laughs> blog post from the keyword blog here. And it's really kind of focused on the Google Nest. However, um, you'll see they're also trying to market some of their other home products by sharing some of it. By sharing some, I'm going to lose it during this one. This one's just too funny. So uh, there are some different commands and things you can try, like the one that Matt just did with the hey or okay, Google. I'm trying not to <laughs> conjure right. up any any Google devices while we're while you're driving down the road, but that gets spooky will play some spooky sounds. I think that one may be my favorite on this list, but that command will uh, display if you have one of the video devices to uh, an hour long playlist of spooktacular sounds and music to greet your trick or treaters or party guests. <laughs> Or if you just like to be spooky on a daily basis, it's there for you. So they have also enabled some spooky ringtones that you can use on the Nest Hello, which that sounds pretty interesting. I don't know if anybody has that or is going to try that. And apparently there are winter ringtones coming as well. They are offering costume and makeup inspiration through the, the Nest Hub, but there's also some really fun things you can do using your Chromecast and to cast your favorite scary movie to your TV. So the other thing that may be the most important is so that you don't forget to add candy to your shopping mm. list. And that's still on my list. I'm about to go broke on chocolate, y'all. And the Hey Google, create a list or add candy to my list. Sorry if I just enabled somebody's device. But the they also have recipes. For instance, if you want to try the traditional Day of the Dead bread, I've never had that. Maybe, maybe this is the year to try it. And some extra special Halloween-y shopping if you want to call some stores and enable your devices to help you find some Halloween costumes. Of course, the Halloween playlist if you want to play the Monster Mash, which that is one of my yes. favorite Halloween songs. I, I, can, I can dance a pretty good groove to that one, so... Set up a ghostly guest network for your party, like naming it Hocus Pocus. So whether you actually use the Google Wi-Fi or your own Wi-Fi and you're throwing a Halloween party, it could be fun. It could be fun to play some of these sounds or playlists in your classroom. Kids really 
seem to liven up around Halloween. I think that's always one of the wildest mm-hmm. days in mm-hmm. my classroom. <laughs> Whether they were allowed to dress up or do anything, it just, there's an energy in the air that somehow we have to embrace. And uh, if you resist, it only gets worse, y'all. So um, just remember that whether you're having a, a party at home or a party in your classroom, it looks like Google's yes, got you resistance covered. resistance is futile. So you're, you're just going to have to go with it. So, all right, very good. Let's move on to something else. We're going to talk about Google Books here. Um, Google Books has been around for 15 years and it's been their goal to bring the world's books online so that anyone can access them. And I have not gotten into Google Books very much, but they say that there's 40 million books in 400 languages there. And so they're unveiling a new design for Google Books. So if this is something that you've uh, worked with or used, you're going to have a new design looking you in the face uh, here pretty soon. A couple of things that are cool about Google Books that you may not realize is that if you've ever heard a phrase or a quote and you've wondered what the original context of it was, you know, like where it came from, um, you can search for phrases and excerpts within books. So there's, there's a really good search feature that comes within it. And then what's also cool is that uh, Google has integrated arts and culture with Google Books. So you can kind of like find out the story behind the story. Um, so it interact or it, it sort of um, infuses your, your book experience with pictures and some of that other interactive stuff that comes with uh, Google Arts and Culture. So um, this is just sort of a reminder that, that this is out there. And, you know, we are big fans of books. I know my blog is called Ditch That Textbook, but it is not. It is not Ditch That <laughs> Book. See, I see them as totally, completely different things. So it uh, might be something you want to go check out. And I think this is long overdue. Google Books has, has really kind of looked the same for a long time. So I'm excited to see this change. And it's worth mentioning, if you didn't know this, there's also a special tool that allows you to compare and get some different types of data from all of those books that are scanned in. What did you say? 40 million books. It's called the Google Ingram Viewer. So if you are interested in, in looking at that, you can see some interesting data over time. Time and trends from te- not from textbooks, but from whatever books are out there, both fiction and nonfiction are in there. So it's a pretty interesting little tool. And I was looking to see, it looks like it is slightly updated from the last time I used it, but I was, I was really hoping to see something bigger. So maybe, and with arts and culture, that sounds super cool. So excited about that. I have one more thing to share, and it's actually coming back to the idea of captions, except this is not with Google Slides. And I have to say, at least the way I'm reading this, this is Android specific. So if you have Android devices or Android tablets, they are introducing something called live caption, and it's going to work across multiple applications. They, they, you know, we've had the option to do captions in YouTube for a long time. But using this tool on your your phone or your tablet, you'll be able to get those live captions from audio messages from your friends, videos on social media, anything you record yourself. So this is part of the launch with the new Pixel 4. But I think it's it's interesting. And even if you don't have an Android device or you're like, Casey, this has nothing to do with my classroom. I think where they are going with this, again, the focus on accessibility and making this work for all users is 
is a trend from Google. So I suspect we will see this option popping up in other places. So it looks like this is rolling out with supports for English, but they have plans to support more languages. Liking it even more when I hear that. So look for this to come to uh, Android devices. And I believe this is on the new operating system. What's that called? Q. And I like, yeah, like I said, I, when we see these things coming from Google, though, it's usually an indication of something that rolls out in other places as well. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Yes, me too. Absolutely. And of course, if you want to check out the details on any of these things we've just been talking about, you can head to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 95. Okay, y'all, let's talk about templates, templates in your classroom, templates in G Suite, how to create, how to share. There are a million different ways to do this. And so Matt and I were talking and we really just want to help streamline this process for you and show you the different options that you have. So let's dive in. Let's talk about the different ways to use templates. And one of the things I wanted to mention just in this introduction is we are not talking about old school worksheets. Please do not mistake what we are talking about in a way of recreating the old boring and static worksheet and putting it in to Google or Google Classroom. In fact, I have an entire blog post and podcast episode called Stop Asking Me How to Put a Worksheet in Google Classroom because I get that question all the time. And while there are really good reasons to use a PDF online, That's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about ways to create those engaging lessons that help you become more dynamic in in your classroom and in the learning in your classroom. So lots of different ways to do this. And it really doesn't have to be anything super complicated. You know, Um, there are some some more kind of like formal. And (laughs) this is one of the funny things Casey and I were talking about related to this topic is that when you say the word template, it can mean like a dozen different things when it comes to using Google tools. So um, one of the ways that I, I think I see people using it more commonly is that they will create a file that they want to push out to all of their students so that everybody is kind of working off the same thing. A template almost like it's, you know, sort of like a a master that everybody is getting a copy of, so to speak. And so to make something like that, just to kind of start start things simply here, um, to make something like that is really pretty easy. One of the first questions you might want to answer is what tool do I want to use to create my template? Because of course you could use docs, you could use slides, you could use drawings, you could use sheets. I mean, there's, you know, all, all different options. My suggestion, my, my tool of choice to create, um, to create these surprise, surprise, this won't shock very many of you probably is Google slides. Seems like I use Google slides for everything, but, uh, one of the nicest parts about using Google slides is that in slides, students can still type text. So if you've got some questions you want them to answer, some prompts that you want them to write about or whatever, um, you can still add text boxes there where students can enter that in. 
But there's a couple things that you can do in slides that's really nice. For instance, you're able to lock some things down in the background. As in, if you want to add some images, add some instructions, add a title, and you don't want students to accidentally move it around or <laughs> try to change your instructions so that when you say do these 12 things, they accidentally or not so accidentally delete the one and it becomes do these two things. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's happened before. If you want to lock those down, um, you're able to kind of like create that slide and then go to file, download that slide as an image. And then everything that gets downloaded into that image is kind of like locked in place. So then you just take that image and you um, insert it as the background image for that one slide. So then that way you don't have to worry about students moving things around. So then from there... You can add your text boxes, add the things that you want your students to move around. And then you can assign that template to your students using Google Classroom. So if you're creating your assignments through Google Classroom, it's really easy to take this template, you know, this one file that you created, put it in as an attachment on your assignment. So you're going to create an assignment, you attach that file, and then you want to use the little drop down to, to go to uh, make a copy for each student. And so when it does that, of course, it does make a copy for each student. It puts a student's name on it, and then they're able to, to turn it in. And so, um, you know, this is, this is a pretty easy way to get that stuff out there. I know sometimes it's easy for us to go kind of like phishing on a Google search or phishing on Teachers Pay Teachers or on a wide variety of different sites, hoping that you find the exact right thing. But if you use some of these simple steps, it's pretty easy to create your own stuff. And then once you've got that template, what's nice is you can take that template, make a copy of it, and then just adjust some of the text on it so that you can use it for a, a different lesson. So those, those are some of the basics, I think, for um, you know creating some templates that, of your own that you can share out with your students. And I think you hit on a couple of really imp important points there too. I have seen so many people take those free templates that they find online. Let's call these the shiny objects, right? We mm -hmm. love free stuff. You and I have free templates, of course, you know, all the TPT stuff. But oftentimes we don't take the time to make sure it's aligned with the learning goals. And I actually had an entire coaching conversation with a teacher who had used one of my choice boards in her classroom. And through our conversation, we realized that it wasn't wasn't really assessing anything she needed to know. It was assessing something she already knew the answer to. And so just because it's out there, just because it's free, doesn't mean that we don't need to adjust it. And so even though we have these templates available, that's something really important to keep in mind. And I think as I introduce some of the ready-made templates to you, I want you to also keep that in mind. And if you're in one of those coaching positions, it can be really hard to kind of steer the teachers in the right direction when you see them, oh, shiny object, free, and it's already aligned to the book that I'm teaching. But have I already, you know, answered all of these questions? You know, just because it's engaging also doesn't mean that it's addressing what our learning goals are. So one of the things I wanted to mention was custom drive templates in the drive template gallery. So when you're in drive and you go to new and you go to more, Yes, I know. It's like an extra step. And I'm surprised how many teachers really complain about the more <laughs> to get to some of these other things. You may also see create from template here. If not, you can connect more apps. And this is actually pretty old, but it's this old template gallery 
that you can pull up. And in fact, when you are in your G Suite for education domain, your school has the ability to create templates for you. So I'm in my shakeup learning domain right now where I can create templates that only people within shakeup learning can access. So that's the same for your school. So if we are in, you know, Jackson ISD, then we can create templates, probably the types of templates that you want teachers to reuse. Maybe it's letterhead. Maybe it's got the logo, the school information, and maybe you've got some parent letter templates, those types of things. But you can also use this to share templates across the district that may align with the curriculum for your district as well. So it is a shared place. You can um, Usually they also allow you, kind of depends on the settings for your school, but to submit your own templates into that private template gallery. But if you go there, you'll also see there's a tab for general, and this is all the stuff from Google. So there are templates for essays, science reports. We've got resumes, class notes, book reports, lesson plan templates they even have in there. So if you have a template that your school prefers and you have to turn in lesson plans, that's another consideration. But there are different types of templates available here that you can use not only for your own work, your own lessons, but things that you could use or modify for your students. So taking this free stuff that we find and making it fit our classroom and then maybe using some of those tips that Matt just shared to push those out, whether you're using Google Classroom or some other format. So the template gallery is definitely worth a look. And I don't think enough schools take advantage of the fact that this is shared. I think a lot of times we go into the drive folder or the shared drive and we just create these shared folders. But what's important to note when it's in this template gallery and you click on it, it automatically adds it to your Google Drive. You don't have to go to file, make a copy. There's no extra step. And we all know how many teachers still don't understand the file, make a copy, which, by the way, number one skill there <laughs> for G Suite. I can't tell you, especially right now because of the Halloween magnetic poetry template that I have. My inbox is full every morning of teachers who are assigning the template that's under my name and all the kids are trying to request access. So hundreds of emails. So templates can save us from doing this type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's it's kind of fascinating how sometimes things are hidden in plain sight like that. Like you've got that little, um, you know, extra arrow next to docs and slides and everything that that leads you right to that. And it's, it's been there for a while. So um, so yeah, that now when it comes to, to making these templates, kind of like what Casey was saying earlier, we, we want to avoid taking a worksheet and turning it into a, you know, a digital activity instead of an analog activity. We don't want to do, you know, just that same old um, drill and kill busy work type thing on a Chromebook. So if we want to know how we can do this well, it's nice to have a good solid example. One of the best ways where I've seen templates used to guide really good learning comes from um, the HyperDoc gals. So HyperDocs, we've we've had uh, Lisa Highfill and Sean Fahey on the uh, on the podcast episodes seventy one and seventy two, where they talked about HyperDocs. And really, what HyperDocs is all about is it takes 
you know, a variety of best practices in, you know, helping students, lead students start to finish through the learning process. And it gives us kind of like a framework that we can use so that students are able to walk through that on a document or on a slide presentation. And one of the great things about HyperDocs is that if you want to use some of these templates, that they they make a lot of them available for free. So you can head right over to the HyperDocs website, hyperdocs.co, and they do have a template library where you can get a variety of different kinds of templates that you can start using on your own. And one of them is the basic HyperDoc lesson plan template. And this walks you through, you know, the various stages. I think there's seven steps in that basic HyperDoc um, template. And so it, it talks to you about how to engage students to get them hooked, how to let them explore a topic, and then doing the explain part to do a little bit of direct instruction. Then you've got apply where students are applying what they've learned to show what they know. Then they're going to share so that they're able, you know, an authentic audience is able to see it. Then it gives them an opportunity to reflect on what they've learned and then to extend to continue to add more to the end of it, maybe for early finishers. So this is just a really good example of how we can go beyond just let's ask 20 questions to let's frame an entire lesson around this really good template. If you're looking for some exemplary stuff, you know, you've got these templates at the HyperDocs website that you can check out. Plus, you also have this huge database that they call Teachers Give Teachers. And so this is on the HyperDocs website, and it's this huge database of pre-created HyperDocs activities, which basically are what we're talking about today. They're templates. And so those are the ones where you can go open them up. You can go file, make a copy, and make a copy of it of your own into your drive that you can go start to modify. So um, if you're looking for a way to do this really well, I think this is probably one of the best free resources out there. Oh, it is. It is such a fantastic resource. I think HyperDocs have really transformed some classrooms. And the fact that we are putting together a place, not we, I mean, we as an education and the HyperDocs girls have led this sharing us caring kind of initiative. So those are there for you. And there are a lot of teachers who get introduced to Google through HyperDocs. I don't know if you've experienced that too, but a lot of teachers don't understand how to create templates and share things until they discover this magical HyperDoc thing. They're like, oh, okay. So great place to start if you really haven't explored some of those activities. I'm going to come back to the template gallery and talk about what you see when you are on an application homepage. So if you click on the icon of the little blue doc when you're in docs, or if you go to docs.google.com or forms.google.com, those are the homepages. And you will see a list of not only your most recent uh, files for those specific apps, which is a nice little filter. Whereas in Drive, you know, you see everything. But for instance, I am on forms.google.com. And at the top, I also see like five little suggested templates, but you can pop that open with the drop down and see the entire gallery of templates for forms, which is a really quick way to create something like a contact form. I love the fact that that's already there. So you don't have to create one from scratch. You can just go modify the template. But the other day, 
I was on Facebook and scrolling through and a teacher had posted a screenshot of this page that kind of got under my skin just a little bit. She was really excited because she had discovered there is a worksheet template in Google Forms. I'm like, oh, Google, what are you doing to me? And there is, there is a worksheet template that's in here. Again, I I feel like one of the things we have to let go of when we embrace the 21st century digital classroom is our paper-based thinking. You know, that's where we start. And that's why we call things like a digital notebook or a digital worksheet. But we really have the capabilities of doing so much more. So I would just wanted to point that out and you, you may want to hide that one from some people, but those, those templates are there. So you have templates for forms. You have templates for sheets. You have templates for docs. You have templates for slides as well. And those are really great starting points for things. And I think we also have to like, like Matt said earlier, template means different things to different people. And there are different types of templates. So the templates you find in this template gallery are oftentimes by type. But when we're talking about the templates that we're using in our classroom, like a hyperdoc, that's really just a a full-blown exploration of filled out form, right? Or a filled out worksheet or a filled out hyperdoc that we're really moving towards as opposed to just here's sort of a, a group of, of ideas. So those special types of presentations and things that you'll find in slides may or may not fit what you're doing, but it's really nice to know that these things are here because they save you time and teachers always need to save time. So the other thing that I wanted to be sure and share with you is the different ways that you can share templates, right? Matt was sharing some ideas for Google Classroom, making a copy for each student. Sometimes we're not in Google Classroom. For instance, Matt and I share templates on our website all the time. And for a long time, I've used the Force a Copy link. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't because people figure out the way around it and they just want to view it. But there's also something special called a template link that you can create so that it has a special button on there that's his template and teachers can just click on it and make a copy of the template or students could click on it and make a copy of the template. And it's really, really easy. All you have to do is go to the end of the link of your document, your slide, whatever it is that you're working on, you'll see the word edit and you're going to delete the word edit and you're going to replace it with template slash preview. And what that's going to do is that's going to allow them to still see that preview of what it looks like and decide if they want to make the template copy and they'll click on that template button. There are a few exceptions to this. This does not work as well on mobile devices, I have discovered. So I still usually when I post things on my site, I use the force a copy and the template link. So there's two options there, but it is pretty handy. It's one of those URL tricks And I have a a link to a blog post where I have step-by-step directions. So if you're driving down the road right now and you're like, Casey, I have no idea what you just said, (laughs) don't worry. We have links to that and links to all of the other things that we have been sharing today in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 95. There's a letter in your mailbox. Hey, you know what? This is all your mail. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. You've got mail. 
All right, Tribe, it's mailbag time. And our first message comes to us from Chelsea Greer. She's from Connecticut. And she has a question related to Google Forms quizzes. Chelsea, go ahead and take it away. My name is Chelsea Greer, and I'm a tech ed teacher in Connecticut at a magnet school. This is my first year in this position, and I'm super excited. And you guys have already given me so many great ideas, so I'm super excited to be following you now. And congratulations on 1 million downloads. That's so exciting. So here's my question. I have some students who need assessments read to them aloud, and I'm wondering if you have an easier way to add that to my Google form quizzes. Um, Currently, the only way I've found is if I record myself and upload it to YouTube and then insert it as a video um, that they could click on to hear before each question. But I feel like there's a lot of steps to that and it's super inefficient. So I'm wondering if you have an easier way. Um, And add-ons are blocked in my district, so I cannot add any add-ons. So I'm hoping that you have another suggestion for me. Thanks so much. All right. So this is kind of a common question that Casey and I hear is it, it has to do with um, reading assessments, right? And so, the, you know, the big question from everyone is, is there a way to do this? You would think you know, with all of our speech to text and all of those options that there's got to be something that really, really works. So I'm going to throw a couple of things out there and then we're going to throw it out to all of you in the tribe uh, to hear what what you use. And we'd love to to feature some of these on a future episode. So um, one option is the read and write extension for Google Chrome. Now, Chelsea, I know you said that add-ons are blocked, and I'm not sure if you're talking because sometimes it's easy to mix up add-ons and extensions. And so if add-ons are blocked, this is an extension. If you can use this in Google Chrome, this might help. Now, this may this is something where read and write will read the text. Now, th- this is text that's actually text on the page. Um, as opposed to a screenshot of text. So it's not going to read a screenshot because, you know, that's obviously an image. But if it's actually text on a Google form, it can read that. So you might check into that and see if that works. Um, another thing to, to keep an eye on is, you know, your school or school district may have invested in some sort of tool that makes this possible, especially if the school district is invested in, using technology to help um, with special needs accommodation. So that's something where you might check with your, you know, your special education staff to see if there's anything there. Now, you had mentioned how you record yourself in videos and then upload them to YouTube. I'm not sure how you're doing that exactly, but if you want a more streamlined way to do that, um, one good way to do that is to use Screencastify. If you haven't ever heard of Screencastify before, you can get it at screencastify.com. It is a Chrome extension and it'll let you record and then upload to either Google Drive or to YouTube. Now, uh, Chelsea, since you mentioned that you usually upload it to YouTube, uh, one thing that could also help your, you streamline the process is to record one single video through the whole thing. And then what you could even do is when you insert that video into Google Forms, we've got the links where um, where if you're working within YouTube, you can link to a specific time within the video. So what you could even do is record the, record the whole thing just in one video and then have on each page or on each question for the 
for the form when they hit play, have it start at a certain time. So then that way, I don't know if you're recording, you know, several different videos all at once. This way you could record it all the way through just in one uh, using a tool like Screencastify and then link just to that specific time within the video. So those are a couple of suggestions. Um, But again, we would really love to hear if you have a solution for this that you could share with Chelsea, please do head over to googleteachertribe.com, leave us a voice message, um, you know, send us a, you know, send us a a message through email or whatever, you know, GT tribe hashtag out on Twitter. We would love to pass those along to the tribe and to Chelsea. So Chelsea, thank you so much for your message. And our next question comes from Kelsey. So we've got Chelsea and Kelsey today. (laughs) And Kelsey has a a question we hear a lot. And she is asking about how students can come back to a Google form that they haven't finished yet. You know, so if you're using it for assessment, you've got a 30-question assignment, and they only get 10 of them done before they have to leave – She wants to know, is there a way for them to save what they've done and resume where they left off later? And yes, there is a way to do this. It is not the easiest way to do it with students, but I'm going to share with you a link in our show notes from Alice Keeler. She's got some step-by-step directions as well as a little template that she created to help with this process. So one of the things that you can do is go into your settings in your form under general and under where it says respondents can, there's a checkbox that says edit after submit. The trick with this is they have to have a special link to get back to that to edit it later. And that's usually where we lose things. So the kid's They close the window. They don't have the link again. They don't know how to go back to it. So what Alice has put together is she created a little form that is a special place where students can go add their name and copy and paste that link. So you can have students save that link and then you have them all saved in a spreadsheet that they can come back to later. So it's a little bit of a workaround. I wouldn't say it's it's particularly easy, but depending on the age of your kiddos, that's that's also sort of the issue. And I don't know if anybody is using this feature with the locked quizzes because I would think this would be even more difficult since you can't open other tabs. So you wouldn't necessarily be able to open something and copy and paste it or put it somewhere else. So um, this is just a quick way to get around it. I know some other people have some other band-aids. And if you have a band-aid to share with us, we would love to hear your workaround. I wish there was maybe a way for us to push out incomplete forms through Google Classroom to make that connection and for a teacher to be able just to reassign that would pop up in Google Classroom. So maybe that's a a feature request we should be asking for inside Google Classroom. But that ability to come back and finish the form, finish the quiz, whatever it is that you're using Google Forms for to come back to it later is definitely something a lot of teachers have asked for. So Kelsey, take a look at Alice's suggestion and see if that can help you. So thank you so much for your question. (laughs) 
can we jump into the blog bag? Is that something we do here on uh, the Google yes, let's do it. Tribe? <laughs> We're going to jump into and, and say that three times fast. I swear today, that's that's really going to get me tongue-tied. But we have a few things to share with you from the blogs. And since I already mentioned it, I thought I better include it in today's show, this being the week of Halloween. Hopefully, it's not too late for you. But if you are interested in the Halloween Magnetic Poetry template. It is in Google Drawings that you can go make a copy of (laughs) and distribute to your students. It is a fun little activity. So I've got that there. I've also got a link back to another post and podcast that I did called 15 Ways to Use Google Classroom in Professional Learning. So if you are in a position where you deliver training and PD to teachers, there's some great ideas and tips from other educators in that post for you. Yes, that's a that's definitely a good one worth checking out. I've got a post on the Ditch That Textbook blog. It is a guest post by Mandy Tolan, who we had on the podcast back in episode 66, telling Google stories with Mandy Tolan. Um, and she talked in that episode about doing choose your own adventure and math about memory games and Google Slides, comic strips, and all this stuff. And she is up to something else here. She um, is getting on the escape room train. And so she's uh, written a post about how to create a digital escape room for your class or if you do professional development for teachers, how to create one for professional development. And so it's got step-by-steps on what you want to do, what you want to use. There's a planning template that you can use that'll guide you through it. And then we've also got links to a whole bunch of pre-created escape rooms, digital escape rooms that you can use right out of the box. So this is a pretty good one. Uh, You may want to check that one out. So you can get a link to that and to everything that we talked about on the show at our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 95. All right, all you Google Teacher Tribe ghouls and goblins, we have ended the extra spooktacular episode of the Google Teacher Tribe, so hopefully uh, it hasn't been too scary. And you've gotten some good ideas on how to use templates, all of the different options that are out there. And as we were saying in the mailbag, we would love to hear your suggestions when it comes to Google Forms and to um, reading student assessments aloud. So um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We love to connect with you. Please do share with us out on the, the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter. If you have a question or something cool you're doing in your class, we want to hear about it. So head over to googleteachertribe.com and click that send feedback button. We would love to hear your voice and put your voice on the show as well. And thank you so much for joining us for episode 95. We are only five away from episode 100. So we will catch y'all next time. Bye y'all. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Forgot to silence my phone. Hang on. I'm sure that was a really important. Yes, it was. Dabo Sweeney. Uh <laughs>
<laughs> it was a really important ESPN update. So <laughs> apparently something that you just said made the sports center top 10. Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> well, hey, y'all, it is football season. So <laughs> I, I'm always getting my ESPN alerts. All right. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.